0: My name's Phil. If you're here for the first time, I want to extend a welcome to you. It's great that you could be with us this morning. If you're a regular, you'll know that there is an almost weekly battle to fit this microphone properly. And uh, we just had uh, a eureka moment where John Gallagher said, "I I think actually all these months we've been putting it on the wrong ear. And this seems, I have to say, much more stable. So, uh, what does that say about us, that it took us months to figure out which ear to put the microphone on? Praise God. Um, It's great that you could be with us. Many of us are away Um, this week. This is a a smaller number than we're used to. We've been used to in recent months. Uh, We've got a team of us, uh, two different teams, in fact, are out this week. Uh, We've got Andy, who's taken Carissa, and some others, Jan McFarlane. And they're over uh, in Holland uh, with uh, Julian Adams, who again, if you're a regular here, you'll know, um, a friend of the church. And they're running some stuff and seeing some amazing miracles. I got a very excited text from Andy this morning telling me about all these kind of healings. A woman who I think had had pain in her body for 25 years with this condition and was instantly healed um, last, uh, last night, I think. Amazing stories. Um, it's just exciting to hear about what God's doing in the world, and Tim, Tim Quant, one of our interns this week, is away home to preach at his home church in Carlisle, and he's taken a bunch of our guys away to, uh, to lead worship, so it's great, it's great that um, some of the things that we're experiencing here in Hope Church, um, uh, God's giving opportunity for us to share with other people in the world, and God is doing so much, so much, so um, much in the world right now. Um, I know that's probably always true, um, but it feels like everywhere I go uh, right now, I'm hearing amazing stories. And I think it's really important for us to, to understand that God is doing amazing things with Hope Church. but Actually, God is doing amazing things all over the place. Um, I was recently involved in uh, the Alpha Scotland Vision Day which took place uh, just over there, I think. Yeah, about over there in uh, Glasgow Uni, and there was about a thousand people from all over Scotland who gathered um, to hear more about the kind of the vision of the Alpha Course, uh, which is a kind of introduction to Christianity, um, and just about twenty-four-seven prayer, which is another Alpha initiative that we've been involved in, and just what God's doing. And there were some incredible testimonies that came out of that day that I just felt. I needed to share. I need, there's one in particular that I needed to share with you. And it's, it concerns, has uh, um, anybody here ever been to Thurzill? I haven't. Some have. Wonderful. I mean, it's just like a long way away from here. Uh, on the north coast of Scotland, this little town in the north coast of Scotland, a few thousand people. And this woman called Jennifer felt as though God spoke to her she's from the Baptist Church in Thurzau, to start a 24-7 prayer room in Thurzau for the, for the whole uh, um, town. And, uh, and she, so she shared this idea with other churches, and they got involved, and they, they've been running this 24-7 prayer room uh, in Thurzau. And she shared this testimony of this. There's these three people who came to the 24-7 prayer room faithfully to pray, to cry out for their friend, this other um, woman, um, who wasn't a Christian, and they, they were crying out for her uh, one night. And that night, she had a dream where Jesus met her in the dream. And she woke up in the middle of the night and just felt like she had to read the Bible. And uh, so she scanned her shelves and found her kind of old Gideon's Bible that she'd been given, you know, decades ago, opened it up, and just felt like God was speaking to her directly through the Bible. And so she got radically in that moment born again. And she came along to church and she was just like devouring the Bible. So she started coming along to the 24-7 prayer room as well and meeting up with these three friends who'd been praying for her. There were now four. And, uh, and in the course of like the next few months, she had a series of other dreams which led her to be reconciled with her husband, who she was estra- estranged from. And her her husband and her two kids all got saved, and they're now all in this church in Thurzl. I mean, that is the sort of story that you hear from, like, Iran, or something like that. You know, I had a dream, and I got born again. You know, this is Thurzl, for goodness sake. This is 2012. This is Scotland. Scottish people encountering Jesus in dreams, God speaking to them through the word, and the whole family getting born again and reconciled. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's the sort of thing that you might look back on, you know, in 20 years when revival's sweeping the nation and say, actually, it had already started. We just didn't know it. God was already moving in this incredible, powerful way across the nation. And these sorts of stories, it's important that we, we engage with the fact that God is doing remarkable things in our day, here and now. Today, things are happening that are incredible. It's a good time to be alive. It's a great time to be a Christian. Just allow... I don't know if you daydream. I daydream a lot. That's probably why I don't get as much done as I should. But... Uh, <laughs> That's what my wife would tell you. Um, But allow yourself to daydream about what God could do in your lifetime. Amazing things could happen in this church, in this city, right across the nation, right across the world. Amazing things could happen. That's just one example. He's doing amazing things. I'm going to speak to you today from Mark chapter 10. But before I do, I want to pray. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for each person here today. And God, I want to pray that you would speak to us, directly to us as individuals in this time we have to look at your word. God, I pray that you would open hearts, Lord. Open hearts. God, we're not just here... um, for a lecture. Please, God, don't make it like that. God, I pray for a time where people meet you, where they hear your voice, where they hear you speaking to them, and they're changed. Come, Holy Spirit. You're the one who leads us into all truth. Fill us with your Spirit. Move among us. Help us to understand your Word. Renew our minds, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're in Mark and we're in chapter 10. And we're, I think, at verse, yes, we are, 35. Verse 35. This is a little story about Jesus and his disciples. So we're going to read it and then we're going to just, I'm just going to go through it again. Kind of almost like a couple of verses at a time and just see if we can pull out what God is saying to us through this. Is this okay? It feels like it's kind of slightly crackling. Chain, even the change of ear hasn't quite fixed our problems. Maybe if I maybe dangled it from my nose or something (laughs) like that. Maybe try that next week. Okay. So Mark 10 verse 35 And James and John the sons of Zebedee Came to him That is Jesus I mean wouldn't it be great if your dad was called Zebedee That's the first thing That's the first thing that leaps out of me From that passage How good would that be This is my dad Zebedee Absolutely love that You just wonder what kind of character he was Zebedee Love it we're having a kid in the summer. I'm just I'm just throwing that one out there, love. Tell you what there won't be another one in his class at school, will there? Zebedee Love it. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Great great statement, that. Slightly scary. Wonder how you would have reacted. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Seems like a sensible question. And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't have a scooby. (laughs) That is, that's the parlance Uh, That's really what he meant. You do not have a scooby what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we're able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left isn't mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten, that's the other ten disciples, heard it, they began to be indignant. They were mad with James and John. Jesus called them all to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, what can this passage teach us? Uh, I think a lot. I think a lot. I'm excited that I'm preaching this message the day that we've put out these little slips that give you an opportunity to serve in this church. And that's kind of what I'm going to be talking into, really, um, but maybe not quite in the way that you expect, I hope, to surprise a few of you this morning. So let's look at verse 35 and 36 at the beginning. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, as we've already established, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? This is an extraordinary thing. James and John have come to Jesus and said to him, whatever we ask, whatever we ask of you, we want you to do it. I mean, that strike Does that strike you as a little presumptuous? This is Jesus, you know, who right now is upholding the universe by the power of his word, Hebrews 1 tells us. And yet, here are James and John, sons of Zebedee, saying, I, We want you to do whatever we ask of you. Whatever. We want carte blanche to, write, to ask anything of you. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing that they would have got to that point where they felt that they could say that to Jesus. Isn't it? I wonder if you're at that point. Because the amazing thing here is that Jesus doesn't seem to get annoyed. You know, it's like when somebody comes up to you and says, can I ask a favor? And you're kind of thinking, it depends what it is you kind of like, well, you know, perhaps, maybe. Well, let's, you know, let's talk about this before I commit myself. Jesus does not respond like that. What do you want me to do for you? It's an echo of other questions that he asks. There's an amazing story later in this chapter when Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. Another great name. Love. Uh, When... When Jesus, Jesus is walking into Jericho and, and, and Bartimaeus, the, be, the blind beggar, is standing at the si- or sitting at the side of the road begging and he hears that Jesus is walking past and he starts shouting out, son of David, have mercy on me, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples who totally missed the point tell him to shut up, you know, you know you're making a bit of a fuss, you know, we're trying to walk by here and Jesus says, no, no, bring that man to me. And so they bring blind Bartimaeus in front of Jesus. And Jesus says this. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Ask anything you like. What do you want me to do for you? James and John, I want to say, they, had, they hadn't grasped everything, as we'll see later in this story, but they had grasped this, that God has a generous heart. He has a generous heart, and he loves his kids to come to him with childlike trust and faith in him and say, can I have this? Can we do this? I want to be this. God is, is a generous father, and he wants his kids to dream. Dream big prayers. Ask big things of Him. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want God to do for you? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be? What do you dream of seeing in your lifetime? What big prayers are you currently asking God for yourself? Or are you asking anything? Are you just hoping to get through? Listen, God has more in His generous heart for you than that, than just surviving, just getting through, just kind of hoping to make it through on the line of least resistance. He has a calling for each one of us to fulfill. Some of you don't believe me. Maybe you will by the end. James and John, they understood God's generous heart. Verse 37, what did they ask? And they said to him, grant us, this is James and John said this, grant us one to sit at your right hand and one at your left in glory. It's a strange phrase, but what does it mean? What it means is this, that when Jesus, they were confident at this time, that he, at this stage, that he was the Son of God, and when he got to heaven sitting on the throne of the universe, you know, these two former fishermen, nobodies from a nowhere place, they are at, their request is, I want to be up there with you. Sitting at either side of you on the th- at the throne of the entire universe. I tell you, that's a pretty big prayer. That is, a, I mean, that is a ridiculous prayer, in fact. That is a ludicrous, ludicrous request to make of God. It is absurd in many ways, and yet they, they, they made it. Now, it's not only that they made it, they felt they could make it. They felt that they could say things like this, outrageous things to Jesus. I want to say, what happened to these men? Three years ago, they were tending their nets by the side of, of a lake in a kind of rural backwater of the Roman Empire. You know, they like... They, were, they came from the middle of nowhere. It's like, you know, coming from Thurzl. <laughs> the middle of nowhere. And yet there they were. When you're in glory, Jesus, we want to sit at either side of you. Listen, when you hang out with Jesus, how is it, how is it that when you hang out with Jesus, suddenly greatness comes alive in you the idea that you could be great listen they didn't have that idea the idea that they could be great the idea that you know i heard somebody say the other day there's no record of the disciples arguing about who's the greatest when they were tending their necks it's only when jesus comes along and gets hold of their lives and starts talking to them about who they are and who he is and his plan to redeem the world, that suddenly something, it's like a bomb sets off in their heart. Suddenly greatness is a possibility. Listen, have you properly grasped what Jesus is saying? Have you properly grasped your new identity and the freedoms that you have in him? God's people in the Old Testament were enslaved to Egypt. Egypt was the thing that told them what to do and when to do it. Today you make bricks. Today you build pyramids. Today you rest. Today you do this. Their lives were totally controlled by Egypt. And God said, I'm taking you out. I'm taking you out. You're going to be my people. You're going to be free. But listen, what that story tells us because they walked in the desert for 40 years after is that freedom and slavery slavery has layers there's an old Irish saying you can take the man out of the bog but you can't take the bog out of the man what it means is you can take somebody out of Egypt but can you take the slave mindset can you take The poverty spirit out of the people of God. And really, a lot of the Old Testament, that's what it's concerned with. It's concerned with people starting to think like free people. So that you don't walk in the desert and think, oh no, we're going to starve. God's going to leave us out here to starve. No, 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 you're not going to starve. You're free, and God's going to provide for you. Because He's a good Father. And we need to we need to learn this. We're not going to get you know get into a a place where we're trapped. We've got enemies pursuing us. Maybe they'll catch us up. No, 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 no. The Red Sea will split before you, and you will walk through because God is with you. And He is. Listen. I wonder what the Red Sea is in your life right now. Maybe the maybe you know where God was bringing out things about hope we can get into that place of hopelessness where we feel like we're being pursued by things. We've got things in our life that have control over us, that make us scared for our future, that make us feel trapped. Maybe even we've been following God and and God's led us to this place where we feel like, we kind of feel like he's tricked us. God, you led us this way and now here we are in front of the Red Sea and here come the Egyptians and... uh, we're going to die. We can feel like that. We can feel like that. But listen, listen, why did God lead them to the Red Sea? Could, I mean, He could have led them another way. But He was wanting to take off a layer of slavery, another layer, peel off another layer of the onion, and show them that they were free. He led them to the place where they could only be free if he did something remarkable. He led them to the very place where they were dependent upon his intervention because he wanted to teach them to trust them. He wanted to teach them that he was a father who wouldn't abandon them in a crisis, who wouldn't let them go. And so this Red Sea split and all these families who'd lived in slavery walked. I wonder how, you know, some of them, when you see the, when you see the, um, the films, it always looks like they're kind of striding out confidently, you know, through the, the Red Sea as it parts. Listen, I bet you some of them were kind of like creeping along, you know. Is it going to collapse But it didn't really matter. The fact is that God had broken in. And no matter how they walked through, they walked through. And then they saw the thing that had enslaved them destroyed in front of their eyes. Folks, some of us, I feel even God impressing upon me right now, some of us are in that place where we feel like there's no way through and we're not really too sure how we got here but we're here and I want to tell you that God has you in this place so that he can show you that he loves you and that he is not going to leave you the red sea is going to split and you are going to walk through it and you are going to see the thing that enslaved you and the thing that you thought had so much power over your life, you're going to see it destroyed. You're going to see it lying dead on the shore. And you're going to rejoice as the people of Israel did and walk into your freedom. It's an exciting thing. Have you grasped what God says about you, Ephesians chapter 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up. I mean, this is wild. Listen to this. You can read over it so easily. I've got it underlined in my notes, so I don't and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ. Have you grasped that? I mean, I suppose you spend your life trying to grasp that, but my goodness, this is who God says you are, seated with Him in heavenly places. Listen to this, John chapter 14 This is wild. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father and he will give you a helper. That's the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. And underlined in my notes, verse 20, it says this In that day, when the Spirit falls upon you, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, that Jesus is in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You think, did I read that right? Did I read that right? In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. The Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing together for all eternity. And Jesus is saying, The Spirit will come upon you and you will know that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. I mean, think about that. That will blow your mind. That will blow your mind. This is who you are. John 17, Jesus prays this, the glory that you have given to me. This is him praying to his Father in heaven. I have given to them. You think, Jesus, he's pretty glorious. He's pretty flipping glorious. And he's saying this, the glory... Look, listen, read it for yourself in your own time. The glory that you have given me, I have given them. He has given you the same Glory. I mean, this will mess with your head. We need to come to grips with some of this stuff. I'm serious. We need to spend some time saying, God, good grief, help me to understand this. But this is how he sees you. The glory that you have given me, I have given them that may, they may be as one, even as we are one. Wow, that's a pretty high standard of relationships among God's people. We're supposed to be as one as the Trinity is one. Tell you what, that's a preaching itself. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved them even as you loved me. Spend some time on that verse. The Father God loves you even, that means exactly as, he loves Jesus. So we have no idea how much God loves us. Not even the first clue. He loves you even as he loves Jesus. Why? You don't know what my weekend's been like, Phil. (laughs) <laughs> i don't care what your weekend's been like i don't care what the last three years have been like for you jesus says that the father loves you even as he loves jesus i mean it's wild is it not is this not wild i mean some of you don't look like you're thinking this is wild i've got a level with you you <laughs> Some of, I mean, I, some of you look like I'm reading the phone book here. <laughs> I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're at all interested, just don't hold back. You know, feel free. Feel free to express that. <laughs> Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. What an awesome prayer. But here's the amazing thing. There's a journey to be made in this when we figure out really who we are. Because Romans 8 says that the whole of creation is groaning so that you will know who you are, the revelation of the sons of God. The whole world is waiting for you to get the revelation of who you really are in God. That's what Romans 8 said. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. All of Glasgow is waiting for you to get it. That's really what it means. John chapter 11 is interesting because um, Lazarus dies, and Martha, his uh, sister, comes running out to Jesus who has Chosen to delay his arrival. He wasn't late. He chose to, I mean, I, that's what I like to claim when I'm 20 minutes behind. Listen, I'm not late. I've delayed my arrival. <laughs> um, but Jesus delayed his arrival so that uh, Lazarus was dead in the grave. And Martha ran out to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she says this, which is a really interesting line. But even now, I know that whatever. You ask of God, God will give you. Now, I actually think we all, we're, all with, we're all there with that one. You know, Jesus, whatever you ask, you're going to get because after all, you are Jesus. Whatever you ask, you'll get it from the Father, because you are Jesus. Even now, listen, even though my brother is dead in the grave, if you ask for it, Jesus, you will get it. I think we, all, we would all have that confidence. You know, whatever he wants, he gets it. Fascinatingly, three chapters later in John, Jesus says this to the disciples, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Friends, the journey for us is this, not just to think Jesus, not, not just, that's the wrong way of phrasing that, But we know that Jesus is amazing and we know that Jesus will get anything that he wants from the Father because of the amazing intimacy and relationship and love and power and faith and all these amazing things because of who he is, frankly. He's the Son of God. He will get what he wants from the Father because he is the Son of God. But we've got to make that journey of these three chapters in John to really hear and understand Jesus say to us whatever you ask in my name the father will give you that's a bit I mean it's three chapters but that is a big deal that's a big journey why? because Jesus brings many sons to glory He makes people like himself, who are beloved of the Father, who have a hearing in the courts of heaven. And suddenly you realise: listen, if James and John grasped this, then that's why they were asking that question. If they really grasped who they were, you can see. Well, you can see kind of now where they're coming from. Jesus, grant that I may sit at your the right hand, your right hand when you're in glory. And you think, that's a, that's a ridiculous thing to ask. And now you realize, listen, if they grasped who they were, it's not that ridiculous. Because we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead The the very same, the identical Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that raised Him from the dead, is in you. That is wild. Wild. The Christ, the, the same anointing that was on Christ as He walked the earth, is on you. Isn't that wild? The same same anointing. (laughs) You know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Preach good news. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim the year of the Lord. The year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. John said, you know, I, you know, how will I know, um, how will I know who, who the Christ is? Well, it's the one that the, the Spirit descends and abides in, upon. And then when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended. A voice came from heaven, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And John said, that's the one. The same Spirit. The Christ anointing is on you listen, we've got to break some chains this morning. I'm serious. Some of us don't have a clue. Listen, I feel like I don't have a clue. I'll, I'll be honest, reading this stuff. It's wild. This is why we need the Spirit to lead us into all truth. This is why this is not an academic exercise, because these things are so amazing and so w- wonderful and so from another world That if we don't have the Holy Spirit we're finished we're never going to get this stuff okay verse 38 Jesus said to them you don't know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized the most maybe the most amazing thing in this passage is this that Jesus does not rebuke their dream of greatness and do you know why because he put it there He put it there. If there's anything in you that aspires to do amazing things with your life that serves God and loves people, let me tell you this. It was not the devil who put it there. Or if he did, he does an extraordinarily good job of preaching the gospel. So the other alternative is that it was Jesus who put it in you. You know why? Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you. Thank you, Jesus. Christ in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He doesn't rebuke it i tell you what else he doesn't say. He doesn't say, who, the, who on earth do you think you are? Some of us might say that, actually. Our culture might say that. Who do you think you are? Listen, this is a really, really big deal. Um, It's also really, really hard for me to find this in my notes. Um, But we we have a culture. And I mean, I I flipping love. um, I flipping love this country. I really do. And I love this town. Um, But it's interesting. We'll skip ahead. Verse 41 says, And when the ten heard it, they began to get indignant at James and John. Listen, it's not often that um, that people in church have arguments about who's the greatest. Notice that. doesn't happen often. I wonder how many of you've had like that over coffee. No, 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 I'm greater than you. No, 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 no I'm greater than you. No, 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 no I'm, shut up. I'm greater than you. You, know, you. We don't commonly have these kinds of arguments. You It's strange. But they did. They hung around with Jesus and they did have these arguments. But we might have the opposite argument, but it's related, and it's this, who do you think you are? In Scotland, we have an incredible, incredibly high value on democracy. It comes to us um, through all kinds of different traditions, one of which is the the Reformation. At the Reformation, the cry of the Covenanters who reformed this country and set, established along with people like John Knox, the Church of Scotland, the, their cry was, every man equal under God, which made a lot of sense because actually what they didn't want was the king messing with God's church. So you can understand where they were coming from, and kings really used to mess with God's church in these days. So you can understand why their cry was, every man equal under God. But the problem is, if you're not careful, that over time, your your high value of democracy can become leveling down rather than leveling up. You see... Everybody being equal before God could mean this. Anybody can do anything. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your background is. In God, you can do anything. Anybody can do anything. That's, that's everybody equal before God. But what it could also mean is somebody does something and you're like, who do you think you are? We're supposed to be all the same. You know, listen. Every man equal under God. (laughs) could be like that. We don't have arguments about who the greatest is, but we do. Listen, it's in our culture. If you were brought up here, or you you spent a long time here, it will be in you. We need to renew our minds. We need to allow people To be who they are in God and be great. There are people in here who have absolutely no idea of the influence that they carry. Because they have no idea that they're great, that God has made them great. Pete Murch, fine example. Pete Murch is a great man. I I mean, I'm serious. He's an influential man. He's the sort of guy that people look up to. That people kind of take their cue from. So what's Pete doing? Well, I'll do that too. It's a responsibility. It's a, greatness is a responsibility because people look to you. And Pete, you got it. Responsibility. Maybe that's the best way through this because I need to somehow bring this ship into land. Verse 40. <laughs> Verse 42 to verse 44. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) Um, Jesus, 42 to 44. Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus did not rebuke the dream of greatness, but he did absolutely blow apart their understanding of how they arrived there. And he wants to do that to you too. He blew it apart. He recalibrated it in their head, what it meant to be there. Philippians uh, chapter 2 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That doesn't mean don't consider yourself significant. And that's a big deal. But listen, other people are significant too. Johnny McAdam highly influential man i'm serious he's a great man it's not that i'm not a great man or that i'm not significant but johnny man he's he's flipping he's a significant man dave treadgold there's another one moorcroft i'm looking at you boy (laughs) you are a significant man So you see, I can be significant and still think they're significant. And that's what humility is. Let each of you look not on your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was God. He is God. He didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped. He wasn't grasping for greatness. He knew it was great. He was comfortable being great. He knew he didn't have to struggle for it. He just knew it, it was something that he was. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And so what did God do? The reward of humility. God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's pretty much everything. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is a big deal and so is its reward. David, think about David. David. Out in the fields, serving his father in menial tasks. Interesting story. Go and take these things to the front line to your brothers. No problem, dad. Servant-hearted. Gets to the front line with the stuff. But because he's serving and he knows he's great, when the Goliath shows up, he thinks, I am not having this. Do you notice that his greatness and his serving it's not like even they're two sides of the same coin. They are the same thing. His serving and his greatness went together. And of course, he had to deal with his brothers saying, who do you think you are? But he cut the head of the giant off, saved Israel, ends up, getting to a throne. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and in the proper time he will lift you up. And how does he rule when he's on the throne? Well, he rules as one who serves. So he takes a guy like Mephibosheth. Maybe not. (laughs) He takes a guy like Mephibosheth who is this kind of paralyzed, forgotten, destitute guy. Somebody who's in the ashes. What does he do? He lifts him up. And he says, come and sit at my table and eat with the king. He, was, he served his way to the throne, and then when he was on the throne, he served. Because greatness is serving And of course, ultimately in this story, Jesus' example, verse 45, Even the Son of Man came not to serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Just before Jesus washed the disciples' feet, it says this, Jesus, knowing that he had come from the Father and that he was going to the Father, set aside his garments, knelt down and washed her feet. He knew who he was. He knew he was great. He knew he was loved. And he knew that that had to to express itself in serving. Sometimes you hear this, it's kind of called the Protestant work ethic. You know, if you're great, you will serve you know, it's a kind of a motivate, it can be, you know, it sounds good, but actually when you think about it, it can be kind of almost like a guilt motivation, you know, I've got to show that I'm, you know, I've got to show that I'm saved, I've got to show that I'm great, so I better get working. I think we should recalibrate that as this, listen, if you know that you're great, you will serve. You already, you already are great. God has made you great. God has lifted you up, and you are great in Him, whether you serve or not. Yeah, that's, the truth. that's the truth. Whether you serve or not, you are great. And listen, no one in here is going to tell you you're not. But friends, if we know we're great, if we really have the revelation that we have the Christ anointing on us. That things can change because we're there. That you're not just giving a cup of tea to someone on a Sunday morning. You're actually giving something of God to them. That when you serve in the kids' work, you're not just doing a bit of riot control <laughs> for an hour. You're investing something of the greatness that god has put in your life into theirs to hand it on to them so that they can run further with it if you know that actually you're not just putting out chairs but as you're doing it you're praying for people who have an amazing encounter with god when they sit in them you're not just standing at the front door freezing your butt off but you're actually, you're welcoming people into God's presence. If you know you're great, friends, you will serve. You, it will be expressed, this service. And there we need to stop. But there are three possible ways to respond to this. one, The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. So if you don't know who you are, I want to pray that the spirit of adoption would convince you. If you don't have a sense of destiny and calling, do you know what? The Holy Spirit, it leads us into all truth. And I would love to pray with you for that. But the third thing is this. John 13, just after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, he says this to them, verse 17, If you know these things, friends, if you know these things, if you know who you are, blessed are you if you do them. Not blessed are you if you come forward at the end of a meeting. Blessed are you if you do them. Listen, we have representatives of the kids' work of stewarding teams, (laughs) of uh, teas and coffees, and all other things too. If you know these things, blessed, blessed are you if you do them. Amen.